Well, it's uh, great to see you, and uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, I just want to add my welcome to the welcome you've already received. And um, you found us at the beginning of a two-part uh, series uh, where we are talking about Christmas um, and looking at the reason for the season. And uh, I just noticed this year that I find myself asking and answering some big questions uh, uh, during Christmas. And uh, the first question I have to answer is, what are you doing for Christmas? And uh, are you going to take time off for Christmas? Who are you going to spend Christmas with? And I know some of these conversations happen in families. Like, last year, we were with your family, and this year, we are with mine. What will we eat for Christmas? What are we having for Christmas lunch? I know people who prepare for several weeks to answer this question and not just eat. For some, it's what are we drinking? And I'm not talking about water or juice. What do we get the kids for Christmas? And in Africa, you're also thinking, what am I getting my parents for Christmas? Whilst the biggest question of all undoubtedly is, what am I getting my wife for Christmas? I tell you what, if you want to make me sweat in the month of December, ask me that question. Because I normally only remember it on Christmas Day. And so I just want to advise you, if you are dating, make sure you answer this question well in advance. Now, while all these questions are incredibly meaningful and life-changing, some of you are thinking, hang on, what about the story of Christmas? The nativity, the birth of Jesus. Mary, Joseph, angels, stars, shepherds, animals, mangers, and magi, what we've been singing about. But if Simon Sinek's viral video on Start With A Y is to be believed, I think that we need to go beyond even the nativity and ask ourselves the question, why did God become a man? And this is the question that I want us to be answering over the next two weeks. But before we can get to answer the question of why did God become a man, we need to answer the question, did God really become a baby? You see, you can't answer this question of why God became a man with biblical answers and remain unchanged. When you answer this question from the biblical lens, it is going to change the way that you see and view God. It is going to change the way that you see and view yourself and others around you. And answering this question through the Bible can potentially change your destiny, not only in this life, but in eternity. And that's why we want to spend two weeks answering why did God become a man. Starting with today, did God really become a baby? And just so you know where I'm heading this morning, we're going to read a passage in John chapter 1. And from that passage, I just want to pick four truths that show us indeed God did become a baby. Then I want to draw three practical implications of what this means for our lives. So we'll just open to John chapter 1. But before we do that, I'd love to pray. 
Dear Father, thank you so much that we're able to gather this morning in such beautiful weather. Thank you for your presence with us and among us that we can sing and celebrate. And Lord, as we look into the scripture, we admit that it's uh, profound, it is, it is greater, it is beyond our understanding. We admit that we are on hallowed ground. And so we want to approach you with reverence and with awe. And Lord, would you be the one who teaches our hearts? Would you make this truth saturate us? And would they overflow in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, and the way that we aim for our lives? Amen. Great, so we'll just read. It's, it's, a, it's somewhat a long passage, and so you can track with me, or you can just listen to me as I say it out. It's just John 1 from verse 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, nor understood it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was sent to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but he came to be a witness to the light. The true light was coming into the world. He came into the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him or recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who received him, all who believed on his name, he gave the right, the power, the authority to be called children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the father. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness to him and said, this is he of whom I was talking to you about. When I said, he who comes after me, ranks before me. He's greater than me because he existed before me. For from his fullness, we've received grace upon grace, one blessing after another. For the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the only son who is God, who is in the bosom of the Father, has made him known. And this morning, as we answer this question, did God really become a baby? We're going to spend some time just in the first three verses and maybe jump to verse 14, pick from verse 17 and 18. But I really want us, even from the onset, to recognize that we're on hallowed ground. 
And in case you're wondering who is this word, who is John talking about it when he says the word? Well, verse 17 shows us when he says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That is talking about none other than Jesus Christ. But before he was born and was named Jesus, he existed as the word. And the title of the word would neither offend nor put people away, whether they were Jewish or non-Jewish. And so John uses it. We'll jump straight into the text and start with, in the beginning was the word. Now for many of us, the, the story of Christmas begins in Luke 1 with an angel appearing to Zechariah and telling him that he was going to have a baby. Or in Matthew 1, with an angel appearing to Joseph and telling him that he was going to have a baby. But John wants us to see that the nativity is not the beginning of the story. And so he takes us back to the beginning. Those, those famous words in Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John is, is not wanting to point us forward. He's wanting to point us backwards. And so the way you can translate that very first beginning, which says, in the beginning was the word, is that in the beginning, the word already existed. And this comes out well in one of the Swahili translations that I saw, which says, hapo mwanzo, neno, you guys made me nervous. I'd, 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 I'd memorized it. Which means that in the beginning, the word was already there. So the first point that we need to see is that the word is eternal. Then John goes on to say that the word was with God, the word was God. And if you're like me, you might find that a bit confusing. Like, hang on, John, you, you're trying to show us that the word is distinct from God, the word was with God, but then you say, the word was God. What's going on? And friends, this is part of the biblical doctrine that we call the doctrine of the Trinity. That God, being one, exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of John throughout the book, he uses the name of God or, or, or that, that pronoun of God to refer to the Father. But as he begins, he, he wants us to see that the very essence, the very nature, the very substance, what makes God, God, the word possesses. And so, though distinct, the word was with God, the word was God. And so we see that in the beginning, from all time, the word existed co-equal, co-eternal, co-divine with the Father. And so the second point I want to make, not only is the word eternal, we see that the word is distinct and yet divine. 
Jumping to verse 3, we see that all things were made through him. Not only is he God and eternal, but he is the, the agent, the, the, the cause of creation. And at this point, I, I just want to play a little video that illustrates Bob a hand for putting that wonderful video together for us. And in today's world, we, we've got the Hubble telescope. We can look into far away galaxies. We, we, we've got an understanding or some limited understanding of the, the grandeur, the span, the vastness of the universe that we live in. Not only do we see the vastness of the universe, we, we, we can come into the intricate detail with electron microscopes and, and go right to cellular levels. I don't know how, much, how many of us during this COVID time we've even been looking at what is a spike protein exactly? And John in these words is saying that the word is the one who created it all from the smallest building block at the cellular level, from, from the smallest atom to the vast galaxy that spans trillions of light years. 
the word created, all of this. And to remove any doubt, he says, and without him was nothing made that was made. You see, there are only two categories. There can only be two categories, creator and creation. And John is saying, the word is firmly creator. All else is creation. I know in, in, in our modern world today, we say, well, things came about by chance. But this text tells us that the word was the intelligence behind the intelligent design of the universe. And if you can go beyond the incredible probability of all things simply existing and coming together, we still need to answer the question, what is the source of life? And John tells us plainly in our text that in him was life. Not only is he the cause of the universe, he is the life giver. And so we see that the word is creator of all and he is the source of life. Now, if we are agreed that the word is God, then we need to catalog the Bible's teaching about the attributes of God. Because if the, God, if the word is divine, that means he shares fully all attributes of God. Just as the Bible shows us that God is holy, completely separate, other, he alone creator, far from sin, so the word is. That God is all-sufficient, self-existent, needing, needing nothing outside of himself. The word is self-sufficient, self-existent, with no other cause outside of himself. The word is everlasting, without beginning and without end. The word is all-knowing. The word is everywhere present. The word fills all things through and through, and yet is himself contained by nothing. Not only does he share all the attributes of God, but John, by calling him the word and telling us that no one has seen God but the only begotten God has made him known is, is showing us that the word is God's representation of himself. God's fullest expression of who he is. If we want to know who God is, we come to the word. And so the word is eternal. He's distinct. He's divine. He's creator. He's the source of life. But also, he's the full expression of who God is. And so when we jump to verse 14, which is where we come into the story of Christmas, which is where we get into the nativity, it gets interesting because the word became flesh. That is, he became human. 
He became one of us. And I need to be clear that he didn't stop being God to become human. But as God, he took on human nature. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin by the name of Mary. He went through normal pregnancy and was born the normal way. And we need to ask ourselves, is it true that the indescribable one really became a fetus? Did he, did he, did he really become a baby? You see, the word became flesh means that God completely took on our nature besides sin and sinfulness. He took on our weaknesses. He became hungry. He became tired. He cried as a baby. He learned. He asked for information. Ultimately, he took on the weakness of mortality and that he might die. And so we see the eternal one had a beginning to his life. The, the divine transcendence became present and imminent. The creator became part of his creation. And the immortal life became mortal that he might die our death. And friends, if, if this is true, then it's, it becomes more than where am I spending Christmas? It becomes more than what am I doing on the holiday? What am I eating? What, what gift am I getting? What, what am I doing during this holiday? It's, it's much bigger than that. These are the kind of truths that when we catch hold of, put a fire within our hearts to say, let the three billion people who haven't heard hear this message. And so I just want to give us three practical handles that I think are relevant for us as we consider this great truth. Firstly, it's about Jesus. We need to recognize and receive him. You see, unfortunately, John says that although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It did not know it. And friends, we live in a world that has rejected its creator. We cannot simply flow with the message of our times because if we do we are agreeing with darkness that has lost recognition of the light and maybe you're here this morning maybe you haven't you've never taken time to fully think about the reality of Christmas, the reality of God becoming a man, you, you haven't taken time to, to think about what are the implications for your life. And I want to challenge you that you need to recognize Jesus. 
It's not just a case of little baby Jesus. This is God in the flesh. How will you receive him? It says that he came to his own people, but they didn't receive him. But to as many as received him, who believed on his name. You see, receiving him is believing, trusting on, relying on who he is and what he has done and what he says he will do for you. And if you haven't taken time to recognize and receive him, I want to invite you this morning that the one, the creator of all, who became a person so that you could access him is calling you to receive him. Don't just listen to this message passively, but lay a hold of it and receive what he has done. That he would go on to live a perfect life. That he would go on to die a death that you deserve. That he would go on to rise again on the third day and be lifted up to seat at the right hand of God. That all who believe in him would have their sins forgiven. That he would give them new life. What the Bible calls this right, this authority, this power to be children of God, being born again. This is not something that you gain from being in church. This is not something that you gain from your parents. It's not of flesh. It's not of man. This is not something a pastor or anyone can confer on you. But it's the power of God at work in your life to change you and renew you if you recognize and receive this man. And I want to invite you this morning. What greater gift could you receive at Christmas than the gift of a new heart and a new life? The gift of of new horizons, new perspective, new purpose. And this is what happens when you recognize and receive the word. And May I just say that recognizing and receiving him is not just a matter of saying a prayer. It's not just a matter of, yeah, okay, we'll we'll baptize you. When you recognize and receive him, you see him as supreme. Not only did he become and become a baby, he became a man who had a lot to say and who did a lot in his life. And so recognizing and receiving him is taking his words that they become supreme in your life. It's taking the life that he lived and it becomes supreme in your life. It's being completely changed. What the Bible calls repenting. That you're going in one direction and you do an about turn and you go in another direction. Not only is your thinking changed, but your whole life is changed. It changes the way you view money. Because he had a lot to say about money and about living for material things and finding your security. Instead, he called us to simplicity and generosity and and finding our security in the Father. He spoke about sexuality. He spoke about how to treat people. And when you recognize and receive him, it's not just a moment of contact and a prayer but it's taking his life and seeing his life lived through you. Pastor and teacher John Piper says, unless Jesus is Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. 
When you recognize and receive the word that became flesh, it changes your life forever. The second thing, the second way we can respond is to reverence and reveal him. As we, as we look in our passage, we see someone else coming in, John. And it says that he came to bear witness to the light. He came to be a witness to Jesus. Although John, more than anyone, had reason to look down on Jesus. John was older than Jesus. He came before him. Jesus was his cousin. And we read later also that even the people in the town where Jesus came from thought he was just an ordinary man. Say, don't we know this guy, this, this son of a carpenter, this carpenter? We, we know his family. What is he doing now? But John, because he recognized Jesus and received him for who he was, found his purpose and his meaning in the life of Jesus. You see, there, there are many people in our world today who are willing to admit that Jesus had a lot of good things to say, who are willing to admit that Jesus had a great example for us, but so did Confucius, so, so did Buddha, so did Mahatma Gandhi, so... But when you realize that this is the word that became flesh, the one who is eternal, divine, creator of all, you see that Jesus cannot share the stage with anyone. And unfortunately, churches in our day are filled with people who think that, well, I am the star of the show. And Jesus, God is there to be my co-star. And this came to me very personally. Just a couple of days ago, I was, I was driving and I was thinking about the message and I was praying for this message. And my prayers were something like this. God, would you please come and make me look good in front of people? Not in those exact words, but that's what I was thinking. Realizing that this... Talking about God in the flesh is, is way greater than my abilities. God, why don't you come and help me so that people can see how good I am? And maybe you don't have that version of the prayer, but it can be like, God, why don't you come and make me a success in, in my work? Why don't you come and make me shine in life? God, why, why don't you come and make me shine in my family? Why, why don't you come so that I can star? in this story. But John realized that there was only one star and there was not even room for co-starring. You see, when, when God becomes a man, there is no one else who can stand beside him. And so I want to ask you this morning, who is the star of your show? Who exists to serve who? And listen, it's not wrong to look for things from God. He says, I came to serve and not to be served. But when we realize that he is the light and we are all called to bear witness to the light, 
Because he is greater than us, because he existed from eternity. All things exist for him and through him and in him. He sustains all things by the word of his power. There is no room for Cephas to stand alongside him in a co-starring role. The only role I can have is, is to be a signpost that points to him. And so John says things like, it's good that he should increase and I should decrease. When people come and ask him, who are you? Because John had such a powerful ministry. People were coming from all over Israel to hear him. 400 years without a prophet. And this man arises and spoke so powerfully. And they come and say, who are you? Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. Who are you then? I'm a, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. You see, because there's no room for co-starring. I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord. And you might say, well, I, I'm not called to be a preacher. I, I, I don't feel that's my role. Well, the, your whole life, the whole essence of your being should be lived out to point to him. Let your work be done to point to him. Let the way you, you, you spend your time, the way you relate to people, the words that you speak be spoken to point to him and take every opportunity that you can to bear witness because he alone is the true light that came into the world. You see, Jesus didn't come to be our cosmic butler waiting on us hand and foot. He didn't come to be some ethereal, eternal Santa Claus whom if we're good, then he gives us good things. He came to give life to the world. And we all are called to point and witness to him. And so, I said, there's some realizations and things that we'll do about Jesus. I want us to recognize and receive him. Secondly, I want us to reverence and reveal him. Finally, thinking about people, I want us to realize that people are precious. As I close, I want us just to think about the incredible worth, dignity, and value that was placed on humanity by God becoming a man. Not only did God create us in his own image, but God came and became one of us. Why is this important? Well, we, we live in times, we live in a world where people can be more concerned about chickens living in cages than about unborn babies being killed in the womb. We live in times when, when we say, well, yes, we, we, we are all on the, the planet and we all have to do our bit to keep the planet safe, good as that is. We need to realize that humanity has been given a higher dignity, value, and a worth because God himself became one of us. And so this is why we talk about gift packages for children's homes. And, and boys on the streets and, and caregivers. It's not us just trying to do our good bits for Christmas to make our consciences silence even as we feast 
No, it's us recognizing the incredible dignity, worth, and value that is in humanity that drives us to want to serve the least in society who have been robbed of dignity and value and worth in the eyes of the world. It's not us just saying, oh, we, 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 we feel sorry, we, we, we feel pity, we, we feel guilty. It's born in, in, in eternity that God himself became a man. And so man is incredibly valuable. And so we will do whatever it takes for people to realize their value, their worth, and their dignity that God has given them. And this is not just dignity and worth that's imparted to humanity as a whole, generally on everyone, but also individually. We live in a world that's, that's always telling you, you're not enough. You look at the adverts, you look at the person and you think, ah, oh, I don't think I could be on that advert. Whether it's how you look, how you're dressed, where you live, It's telling you, you're not enough. But when God came, the Bible says that there was was nothing about him that was extraordinary. He was born into a a peasant family, lived in an out-of-the-way place in in an outpost of the Roman Empire. He took on anonymity, that even the people who saw him grow up said, this is just a man. And so, I want you to know that you have incredible dignity, value, and worth, not based upon anything that you've done, not based upon what anything has said to you or hasn't said to you, but based on that God saw fit to come and be like you. He came and was just like you. You're incredibly valuable, full of worth and dignity. And so I'm just going to invite up the band. We're going to sing and respond to the great truth that The Word, who is eternal, divine, creator, source of all, the life giver, saw it fit to become one of us. I want to call us, even as we look ahead to Christmas and we're thinking into the new year, to live lives that recognize and receive Him, to live lives that reverence and reveal Him. And I want to call us to recognize the incredible worth and value that God has placed on people.